Another week has passed, and that means it is time, my friends, for a brand new edition of the Selby is Godcast. Though when we record them, they're all new. Zach Meisel, TJ Zuppi, at least that's what I think. I don't think we found a way to record one that isn't new. I, I don't... Is that my cue? Like, what, what, what am I supposed to say to that? That's... You're making my brain hurt. That's not very difficult, especially this time of year when you've got enough things to think about and you're not even one pulling the trigger on the trades. No. And, you know, I was talking to some front office people asking like, what is July like for you? Uh, And it sounds like, you know, I think it was made a little more complicated by the all-star game being in Cleveland because it just gave people more to do. And there was more of a buzz around town. The office was busier stuff to watch that week and like as all that is going on and you're trying to enjoy the festivities that come to your city once every 30 years they were also just like debating trade scenarios and fielding calls making calls and i think it's just it's it it, like the second the all-star game ends like the next day that's when it's like that's when it's really really starts that's day one of and I know trades aren't made, although they made the Brad Hand trade that day last year, but that's when it's basically, you know, 16, 18 hours a day analyzing trades and potential trades. And yeah, this month is uh, pretty, pretty hectic if you're a front office member, especially one with a team that probably is going to, to make some noise or people think is going to make some noise. So. Should be fun. Well, there's, there were some elements last year that made that hand Simber Mejia trade possible as quickly as it came together because they knew at this point they were heading to the postseason. There was no, oh, let's wait another week to see where we're at in the standings. Let's see who's moving where and who are the movers and shakers. No, there was none of that. They knew where they were heading in October. Uh, and there was nothing that was going to change in that waiting another week or two. They knew they needed bullpen help. They knew they needed it immediately. And the it was almost like uh, you know, the the ship it wasn't quite sinking, but there were multiple holes that needed plugged. And it's like, okay, do we risk taking on a little bit more water and make everyone else a little bit more pissed off and piss away a few more wins, or do we just pull the trigger now? We know we're comfortable moving Mejia for these two chips. Let's do it. And so it made it a little easier than where they're at today, where it's a little different situation. They don't know for certain they're heading to the playoffs in October. They have certainly given themselves a hell of a lot better shot than they had a few weeks ago. But they're in this weird position where maybe they're buying, maybe they're buying and selling. Maybe they just stand pat and rely on youngsters that have gotten them back into the race. Maybe they hope that Jason Kipnis is finding a a fountain of youth in the final two months and plays like the 2015, 2016 version. All these things are just complicating the issue And at the center of all of it is them playing really freaking good baseball right now. And maybe it's Maybelline. No, I think that my dream story to write would be sitting in their, I don't know, war room or whatever you want to call it. Just like every day for the week or two leading up to the trade deadline. Because, you know, you hear certain... Everyone this time of year is lying to your face. We've said it before. Like, 
everything you read, everything you hear, everything that is said to you by anyone involved in the sport in the month of July is bullshit. I mean, you you hear stuff from agents. Well, they have agendas. You hear stuff from players. Well, they're hearing it from their agents. You hear stuff from front office members. Of course, they have agendas and they want, you know, it's so funny when there's a rumor that surfaces and people are just like, like they just automatically put, okay, well, this team now moves to the top of the list because they have the most interest because I've read a rumor. And it's like, don't you like that? That information doesn't just trickle out there randomly. It's, it's not it's like, not like a, a Madden off season where the time is going and you, you look and, oh, well, let's yeah. see who's the best suitor here and who has offered the most money. Well, if I offer this, it's not quite like that. Right. So so if, if you see a rumor, it's out there for a reason. And you have to consider why is this out there? Who would want this out there? What are the what's the ripple effect of this being out there? And so you just have to assume like everything is bullshit. I mean, I did the Q&A with with Mike Chernoff last week and I. After each one of his quotes, I like tried to do some analysis and write like what I really think he meant, because and everything he said to me is is even if it's not just agenda driven it's it's just it's, bland it's nothing yeah and they and they there are certain they practice this stuff and and i think this time of year like we never really know the depth of certain trade conversations certain ideas certain proposals i think it would be so much fun to be a fly on the wall no no front office would ever let that actually happen um, you know, how many years did it take until we really got John Hart to admit that he didn't trade Jarrett Wright, Bartolo Colon for Pedro Martinez? I mean, he's, he's it's not like he would have let Hoinsey in the front office room as they were having that debate whether they should do that. So that would be the dream. I think that would be so much fun and would lend so much insight into what is it's a fun time of year. It's certainly stressful if you're trying to yeah. cover it, if you're trying to keep tabs on everything that's happening. Um, and even if you're a fan and you're like, man, you know, you, maybe you feel strongly about what the Indians should do with Trevor Bauer um, or, or you want them to hang on to him and you're praying that they trade some prospects and, and buy, buy, buy. And it's like, you know, who knows what they're really thinking because we only see the final results and then the spin they put on those results. Uh, it would be really cool to to know exactly the sorts of conversations that are happening behind closed doors. Well, how many times have we talked about it though? It's not it's not like a scene like you saw Brad Pitt fire up the phone in Moneyball. It's not like uh, Kevin Costner roaming around Berea in the movie Draft Day, and then it all happens in one place, and these things just happen very quickly and on a whim with no no thought behind it. These conversations are taking place over text messages, over emails, over phone calls. And it's not – it is definitely not like a Madden trade screen where you get a proposal, roll in, you evaluate it, and you reject and send one back like it's fantasy baseball. It's not how this is working. You have a uh, an evolving thought of who is interested in your players. You know kind of in your mind what you would be seeking if you would actually – be okay with trading that player. You have some sort of idea of how that team evaluates that player and kind of what their ceiling is on what their proposal would be. It's not like just sitting in the, in the room on 
July 31st, and that's where all the magic happens. And it would be really, it would be fun to chronicle it because it would be, it would be very interesting to find the very first kernel, you know, the very first seedling that was planted and find when that was and what that conversation was, and then just kind of follow that line all the way to eventually a trade taking place or not taking place. But it is not like Hollywood, not like the movies. And that's what makes it, um, when you read these reports and it's, it sounds like it is something out of Hollywood and, and these proposals are being shared back and forth. It's not quite what it seems like. And there is, you're right. There's no uh, leaderboard that's posted up here. That's constantly changing. Like the stock market, you can see who's trending up and trending down. That doesn't happen quite like almost some of these reports make it seem like. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting from the Indian standpoint too, because especially with the Bauer talks, a lot of this is stuff that is just a continuation from the offices. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not like, you know, a lot of times these things take forever to develop. Remember, the Indians had interest in Brad Hand a year before they acquired him. So you think about how many hours of conversation they had with the Padres over time before they finally pulled the trigger on something. And, you know, if, if they end up moving Bauer, or even if they don't, I mean, it's, it's going to be the result of, just so many conversations and back and forths with with the same teams about the same players. Um, yeah, I mean, rarely, I think, does this stuff just come up out of thin air. And I know it looks like that sometimes because it moves so slowly throughout July and then you get to July 31st and it's just bam, 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 like Emerald. Uh, bam, you want to take it from here, bam, bam? <laughs> uh, but it's it's... Yeah, it's this stuff is. It takes a while, a lot of times, to come together. Well, the, the, the do, it would just it would just be like you said. It would be a lot of fun to see all the seeds that had to be planted and and all the homework that had to be done, and you know, and what what those conversations were like, and what different people were involved in them. The trades that look like they come together quickly too, because the one that comes to mind is Michael Brantley gets hurt in 2017 and like three minutes later, they're trading for Jay Bruce, right? And so yeah. you look at that from the outside and you go, wow, where did that come from? That came together very quickly. The reason why it came together so quickly is because the Indians knew exactly what the, uh, who was it, Mets? The Mets would be wanting. The Mets were very familiar because these conversations had been hap- happening for probably a very long time. And so it made it possible that that was just the catalyst to help push it over the finish line. But it wasn't something that the Indians looked at Michael Brantley sitting in the outfield, holding onto his ankle and praying that it was all still attached and them saying, crap, who do we call right now? It was just essentially, well, we've already had these conversations. We like Jay Bruce. Now we have an opportunity. Let's move on. it." And it was all the conversations they had had beforehand that enabled that to come together quickly. So even the things that seem like they come out of nowhere are largely the result of things that have been happening way all the way. Maybe it's all the way back to last year's trade deadline, or maybe it's the winter meetings or all these things that, that they've been having conversations with these teams over. And so I, I can imagine as you're sitting here and we've been talking about these trades for a month and some change now, um, I, I can't imagine all the different emotions that they're feeling internally compared to what they say on the outside. Because on the outside, uh, it's always the same. Big picture, it's going to happen based on one or two things. It's always going to be looking at the totality of the situation. But my God, writing this 
this roller coaster like they've been on and seeing them play so much better you you have to think some part of of a front office member will be sitting there just kicking themselves because they want to be reactionary but they know they can't be reactionary because that's how you get yourself in some really bad situations yeah i mean it takes it takes a measured patient uh person to be to work in a front office i think you know it's funny. I know everyone has an appetite for, for trade rumors and they want something to see, sink their teeth into this time of year and during the off season. And it's, you know, the Indians are very good at running a tight lipped ship and, and they don't leak much. And if they do, it's, it's certainly with a purpose. And that's why I always laugh. Like, especially with the wording, I know we've made fun of the word intensifying a lot on this podcast and we're not the only ones who have, I mean, even the Indians front office has, but it's, it's, it is funny to me when you see like just certain phrasing because, you know, sometimes you see something, I mean, I think sometimes you see from enough people that something's close, that it's pretty obvious that it is and that's fine. But sometimes you see, you know, maybe something's close or like someone's a front runner or stuff, stuff like that. And it's like, I, I hope reporters are are checking with all angles of the potential transaction before reporting that because like to you anyone could say like oh yeah like this team's interested well yeah a lot of teams check on a lot of players like and and to say interested i mean if 25 different teams call the indians about one of their starting pitchers well that doesn't mean that like 25 teams are pursuing Trevor Bauer or Shane Bieber or Corey Kluber. I mean, it's the wording is just so silly a lot of times because it doesn't necessarily reflect what's actually happening. And the ones you know, that you, I, the ones that you, I go ahead, the ones that I love are such and such team has targeted X player as a potential fit. And you'll look at that player and they'll be one of the elite players at their position or one of the <laughs> best players available. No friggin' shit. <laughs> a team is interested or has targeted that player. Of course yeah, they have, well, because and that's every a good player. Team, every team wants to see if, hey, maybe this team, you know, values this player differently than we do, and we can find an inefficiency there and capitalize it and, and make a trade and gain some value. Like you never know unless you reach out. So every team reaches out about all sorts of players. So it's, it's, it is silly a lot of times. And, and, you know, just because one, one team involved or one agent involved thinks that something is close, you know, the other team might be possum and they might just be like stringing along a team just so that they can eventually leak. Hey, you know, this team is, you know, the Padres are a strong suitor for Trevor Bauer. I'm like, okay, maybe the Indians put that out there just so that they can get more bites on Trevor Bauer and get the Yankees to maybe up their offer. And it's like, like everybody has motive this time of year. And so I'm not picking on any certain reporters here. I'm not, I'm not saying like, don't have fun with trade rumors, but just keep in mind that like really nothing is, we don't know how close anything is until it's done or yeah. Right. It's reported from multiple sides of the deal that, something is close or it's going to happen. So, well, I mean, all, like, all the I, time, I think... how many times you get a little piece of information and it's, we've talked about this before too. You have to decide, is this worth tweeting? Is it, mm-hmm. shouldn't this be, 
Shouldn't I check on this with multiple places? I don't, nec- well, I don't necessarily me... – and final thing on this for me. I don't necessarily yeah. blame the reporters because in today's environment with social media and Twitter and, and how we're all evaluated in this world of clicks and popularity on social media, you have to put this stuff out there because it's a 24-7 news cycle all the time. And so I don't blame – it's just the world. This is the world we live in. It's what reporters have to do. Uh, in the past, reporters wouldn't have to tweet every little piece of nugget of information that they got. And now you have to. That's just the way things have gone. So I don't necessarily fault the reporters and writers that have to go that way. It's just that's – if you want interest in your sport, you want people to be talking about things that aren't uh, the game, then this is just the reality. Yeah. I mean, I, I found it funny with the Padres-Bauer link because – First of all, the Padres are in last place. The Indians are 58 and 41. It would be strange if a team two or three games out of the division and firmly in the wild card race and surging with the best record in baseball over the last however many weeks, almost two months Since now. Since June 1st. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Uh, it would be pretty bizarre if that team traded – it's ace. It's number two. I, I don't know. It traded Trevor Bauer to a last place team that was in a funk and stood no chance of winning its division. Now, of course, maybe they get a, a hitter or two back. And like, if, if they could get Luis Urias from the Padres, that's, I think that's a heist. And that's, you have your second baseman for the next six, seven years. That's, that's incredible. But point is like I've written and I've said this on this podcast all season, like the Padres have scouted the hell out of the Indians. They've had every single time I leave the press box and I'm walking behind a scout. He's got a Padres book bag on. Like it's it's they've been at like every single Indians game this year. And I've written this, I've said this, and it's like I'm not saying that like oh I had a first round. I'm not I'm not saying that, but I'm saying like it's it's obvious. Like the yeah. Padres are interested sure. in in Trevor Bauer. Like that's we've known this. Um, it was you know there were reports in March leading up to to opening day about how the Padres were still interested. Now, I don't think there's ever been an official offer from them, and I think the teams have just, like, casually discussed names and stuff. Uh, but it's, it's crystal clear that, like, when the Indians, when it gets down close to July 31st and the Indians are making their final decision on what to do with Trevor Bauer, it's clear that the Padres are going to be one of those teams involved. So it, it's funny to me when it's like, you know, the Padres are coming off as the strongest suitor, and it's like, based on who, how do you know? It's not, we're not at the finish line. It's like, you know, it, it's... In the middle of a, a marathon, like right after someone shoots the gun and the runners start, are we saying like, all right, this this dude from New York is the strongest competitor? And it's like they just started like the finish line is so far away. And until there are official offers and like, like you, just, you need more information, mm-hmm. I think, if you're going to start to like turn that phrasing into something substantive. Um, and so it's. I don't know. It's interesting. Like, all it takes is one offer from the Yankees, and then all of a sudden, yeah. the Yankees are the strongest suitor. Or, like, and, and, and that and, means nothing until the trade is finalized. Right. Nothing it's means, the same nothing thing means with, anything like, if, until it's final. Yeah, I mean, you could say the Indians, like, the Indians will tell you, like, they were never at a point where they, it was, like, on the table, like, hey, we think we're going to trade Corey Kluber to the, to the Dodgers. Like, that was never, it never it never got close enough where anyone needed to start like arranging travel or anything like that. But a lot of reports would have had you believe that that was the case. So, 
you know, I think we can all fall into the trap of taking sure. certain wording and not realizing that it, it doesn't paint the full picture of what's really going on behind closed doors. And we don't know everything that's going on. And there's, it's, it's chaos back there, I think. And I, what would I have to do to get Chris Antonetti to let me in that room? <laughs> there's no way. Uh, I'm, I'm going to guess probably not. Uh, no matter how many times you ask, the answer is still going to be no. Unless you find a way to bring him some, some French fries. What did he say? Fried potato. Was he the one that said fried potatoes of any kind are his, yes. his weak yeah. spot? So I think you just need to find a way to bring some baked potatoes and French fries and twice baked potatoes and mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, any sort of potatoes you can think of. Just start sending him those every single day and maybe you'll butter them up. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it would, it would be so cool. We've, you've seen, like, people sitting on teams, NFL teams, drafts, um, and write about that. This is certainly a different animal. But if you're listening, Chris or Mike, <laughs> please, I'll do anything. Uh, they are not one of the four recent supporters of the podcast, but we do want to give a shout-out to Arnie, Amy, Matt, and Ed. Shout out to you all that uh, went over to the anchor page that we tweet out either uh, at TJ Zupi or at Zach Meisel every single week when we tweet out the podcast and help support the podcast on a monthly basis. As I, I told uh, one of our recent listeners who reached out and was asking how they could support the podcast in no way, shape or form. Are we demanding that anybody do this? But we do appreciate those that help keep us going every single week. And uh, you're one of the main reasons why we're here. Uh, just the listeners, and of course, those that support the podcast. So you were talking about the, the marathon, not the sprint. That's true of, of, of course, roster moves. It's also true of just the season in general. It's cliche, but my God, is it true? And the reason why I bring it up, you said since June 1st, they've got the best record in the major leagues. It's so bizarre. And before June 1st, you know, the Twins are running away with the division, and things just don't look pleasant for for your your favorite Cleveland baseball team but so much of the season no matter if we're talking about hot streaks cold streaks and we'll get to one talk talking about Jose Ramirez here in a minute but hot streaks cold streaks it's all based on these arbitrary endpoints that we pick out and we select to make our point valid and you could do this pretty much at any time and for the most part they're almost meaningless unless you have some tangible reason to pick a certain date other than this is just when he got his first hit or when he started pitching well and we're going to make the numbers look good. Unless I can point to something and say this is when he made this tangible change or decided to throw this pitch more or something to that effect. Really, it's not uh, as impactful as we make it seem. But if you did that, just think, if the season started on June 1st, how much different would this season feel like if that was the first sample size that you got? Just the Indians playing the way that they have and just – Think of it if you could find some way to like flip flip it. So everything that you happened, can. you can do exactly that. Well, I mean, you would be at where you're at today, but well, how no, you I, get there is so important. And how much different would people feel if the Indians had gotten off to that start? And that's what they were doing from the start of March, where they're at now. If that just was their record, I, I, there is a you can do exactly what you're saying, and in fact, you do it every single night. Because you text me every night I was, a link. Say my to prayers some... and eat my vitamins. <laughs> you send me a link Brother. every night. 
Uh, that's going to be the uh, the podcast title, isn't it? Quit giving it away. Um, <laughs> every night you send me at least one text of a link to some Twins-related tweet. It might be by the Twins Twitter account. might be by our buddy Dan Hayes, one of his tweets. And you just say, read the replies. They are going through what you just said. They got off to such a hot start. And, you know, it's, it's funny. You, you go into a season thinking you know everything. We all do this. We fall into this trap every winter, and we never learn from our mistakes. I'm talking about writers and reporters and followers and fans. And, like, this is why. <laughs> well, a subsection of that group is supposed to have, uh, I don't know, an even keel and look at this objectively. Well, so but we're probably what I'm at, is, at fault more than anybody else. So the right. fans are and allowed when, to be crazy. This is also why you, it takes a certain discipline type person to, to work in a front office. But we, we just we go into a season expecting like like this year we were like, oh, we know the Indians outfield's going to suck. And we know, you know, the bullpen has question marks. And like, you know, for almost two months, like a lot of our fears played out with the Indians. Meanwhile, in Minnesota, I think people were upset. The Twins didn't do a little more over the winter, maybe capitalize on the Indians doing nothing. Um but then they got off to such a hot start. And what were they like? Weren't they like their record to start the season was pretty similar to what the Indians record is since June 1st. And so then all of a sudden twins fans are like, well, this is like, we should win 110 games and we you know we should win. It was like, anytime they lost, it was like, you know, how do we lose this game? And it's like, because you're not going to win 140 games a year. And now the twins have come back to earth and the division lead has shrunk pretty quickly and their fans are like like if you would have told twins fans at the beginning of the year you're going to be i don't know what they are 60 and 38 or or whatever they were they would be thrilled and they'd be over the moon and they wouldn't care how they got there right three three game lead on the indians entering the final week of july hell yeah but because because of the way they got there which was get off to a blistering start and then cool off pretty considerably I think fans are a little uneasy. And so it's, it's just so funny how things play out. And that's why, you know, like we've said so many times, you know, if you're going to jump to conclusions in April or May, you're probably going to be made to look like a fool. And I, we fall into the trap sometimes too. I think we were both pretty certain the Indians weren't going to come back and win this division. And now it looks like that is a legitimate possibility. However, it's just, it, it is funny you know, we put so much stock into April and May results because that's all we have to grasp onto. Um, and now, you know, it's funny when people mention like, oh, the Indians have this record against teams above 500 or they have this record. And it's like, yeah, and your sample size includes games in April when Max Moroff and Eric Stamets were the middle infield. And like Jeffrey Rodriguez was the ace. Like, I don't care what they did against, you know, Atlanta in April when – you know, Stamets was hitting ninth and Hanley Ramirez was hitting fourth. Even if it's the best of the best, though, it can have a bad, yeah, they can yeah. just have a bad few games just when it happens to be you're playing a great team. But it's just like you, you need to kind of take snapshots during the season and just see how the team evolves and, and try to use that to take a wild guess at where it's headed. And, and so I think for Twins fans, it's terrifying. For Indians fans, it's exciting. And that makes these last two months, you know, gives you something to look forward to. 
Well, it was a little bit more than a month or two, two months stretch for Jose Ramirez. We sat here probably a month ago and just went over all the things that just continued to plague his season. And I don't, I don't know about for you. I don't want to speak for you, but I got to a point where it was just like, I'm throwing my hands up. I am getting out of the Jose Ramirez prediction business because just when you think, uh, this is a sign, this is it. He's turned the corner. Oh, well, look, he's still making contact. And it's just about changing the type of contact that he's making. And he'll be breaking out of this any minute. And none of those things happen. And it was just, I mean, you were getting to a point where it was almost a full calendar year where this dude is struggling. You're thinking, how is this possible? And I was at the point where it's just like, okay, if if it happens, it happens. But I'm not going to be the guy that stands out there thumping my chest and saying, oh, I predicted it. No, I can't be that guy anymore. Uh, Just because I think we all had tried to number one, get to the bottom of it. And number two, be the one that was going to be uh, declaring when it was going to happen. Well, since that point, it looks like it's happened. Another two hit night tonight as we record this on Monday night. And he looks every bit the, the dangerous hitter that he was for three years leading into this, this slump that just engulfed him and, and, and took over his body, like the body snatchers. Uh, and it certainly is encouraging for the Indians because you know, that, that cliche about, oh, getting so-and-so back is more important than any trade we can make at the deadline. And it's thing that I, yeah, we all roll our eyes at it. Okay, whatever. But to get an MVP-level player back, playing like an MVP-level player is indeed more impactful than anything they could do at the trade deadline. And if he's going to play like the Jose Ramirez of old, that certainly makes the offense finding – some footing and being something that can be a little bit more consistent, certainly than what they were in the first two months is absolutely conceivable. And the one thing that he's doing now that he wasn't doing when he would go through some stretches where he kind of looked all right, he would go through those two week periods where he'd put up like a 800 OPS and you're like, okay, this is a pleasant sign, but he never just went nitro for a week or two. Now you're starting to see him approach not quite nuclear levels, but he's starting to look like, that sort of player here and boy is that uh one encouraging of course like i just said but also two just uh, just to, to be able to ease my brain because my brain was hurting trying to figure this out at least makes me go all right finally this this is starting to make some sense now you know what stupid narrative has died down in my mentions and surely your mentions that the browns need to play their backup quarterback more well actually yes um no, I mean, can we put to bed the asinine accusations that steroids somehow fueled Ramirez's three elite seasons and then spurred his immediate downfall? Like, <laughs> I hate that we have to address this, but, but like, uh, no, you know, that's not how steroids work, first of all. First of all, yeah. Second of all, like, anyone can create some Zanga page that is, you know, People translated from whatever language it was written into English to see that there was like maybe one sentence that's linked someone with his name to something. And then Major League Baseball immediately said it was bogus and the guy's been tested multiple times a year ever since. And you also just don't randomly lose it. And also he still crushed the ball for a while after that came out. Like, okay, we can... Those of you who have that's been your crutch, like I think you can shove that. Like I don't think 
Like, are we still clinging on to that? Do we realize Jose Ramirez still has hitting ability? It's just a matter of... You don't go from hitting 180 to being an MVP. It may take you from a guy that is uh, injury-prone or older and needs to bounce back better between days. It might prolong a career. It might add a... It might make a guy that is a 20 home run threat. It might make him a 35 to 40 home run threat, I suppose. Uh, all those things might be true, but it was not going to do what, what it was supposedly doing to Jose Ramirez. You don't just monstar it up and get sapped of your skills. That's not how this works. You have to have some existing skills for any of that to work. And so, no, any of that was, as you put it, asinine. Speaking of the monstars, who – what? Can we get a baseball version of Space Jam? Yeah, who's going to play the Sean Bradley role? Uh, who was that pitcher for the? There was that like six foot eleven pitcher. What was his name? John Rouch or something? Oh yeah, for the White Sox. Yeah, yeah, sure. Who would be the star? Like Trout's too boring. Um, I mean, this. I think would it be Francisco Lindor? I think it's got to be, right? <laughs> Francisco Lindor. Seems like it would be as good of uh, a pick as anybody. I could see him trying to... Trying to... I mean, like, the dude wore... Rob an alien of a base hit. The dude wore space jam attire on the field right. for pregame. I think, I think we already found it. But what would it be called? Because it wouldn't be jam. Space slam? I, I don't know. Space balls? Yes, that would be it. Starring Rick Moranis. I don't know. And now I'm trying to think of the entire cast. Well, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna need more than uh, thirty seconds of worth of notice to be able to come up with. Uh, Bryce Harper would have to be in there. But I feel like he would be on the monsters. <laughs> He's so easy to hate. Um. I think Aaron Judge could play the uh, Sean Bradley role. Aaron Judge is a little bit better than Sean Bradley was at basketball. True. Huh. So the first thing that comes to mind when, when I think of Aaron Judge is not only did he rob Francisco Lindor, was that a two-run home run that would have been at Yankee Stadium Game uh, 3 of the 2017 ALDS? can't remember. My face was buried in chocolate chip cookies. That was true. Boy, I, I miss Yankee Stadium food. You just load up and bring it all back to your seat. And it looks like you're having Thanksgiving feast. We get a four-game series there next oh, week. Oh, yes. Over my birthday. And then you, and then the you go birthday meal I could then get. you go to the Mets. Just a weird week. Uh, what, I, what, I, what I think of is, of course, everyone thinks of the robbing of the home run, which completely changed that game, probably changed the series, and who knows, maybe even changed the course of who wins it all that year, um, is how when he landed, he broke the fence in right center field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sitting there, I don't know why that stood out to me, but he lands on the part of the fence, like there's maybe a little bit of an out-of-town scoreboard or something. Anyways, he comes down, breaks it off, and in between innings, they had to send these maintenance guys who go sprinting out on the field. And they had to go fix it in real time in between innings. And they had to just kind of put it back in, into place. 
but Aaron Judge just uh, literally a monster destroying the wall. Yeah, you know it's funny. Like, well, I guess he's. Yeah, this wouldn't have made sense. I was gonna say you have a a tall right fielder robbing a home run at Yankee Stadium in the playoffs. Like, where was that when Jeffrey Meyer <laughs> was was reaching over for to catch well, a home yeah, run? Tony ball. Tarasco is not quite the size of Aaron Judge. Right. Would would Tony Tarasco would he have caught that ball? I'm still in between. Still look kind of look like it might have skidded up against the wall. Yeah, I'm skeptical. Why did he not jump? Why did he just stand there and wait for it to come down? And then he pointed up in the air. Didn't quite blow the bubble like Knobloch, but he's sitting there pointing at the fan. Yeah, uh, quite a time to be alive. 96. What was it? AL, ALCS against the Orioles, of course, because the Orioles knocked off the Indians in the ALDS. But all right. comes full Jeter was at the plate, right? I believe so, yeah. Does his mm-hmm. career go a different trajectory if that ball doesn't land in 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 that glove? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, he probably never would have been considered clutch. Yeah. You know, <laughs> maybe, if, maybe if he wasn't considered clutch, then he wouldn't have had that reputation, and everyone would have pointed out how flawed he was defensively. Oh, wow. Just the whole perception of him would have been different. And then when he made that running catch and dove face first into the seats at Yankee Stadium, I think people would have been like, you know, it's, it's not that great of a play. Like, and there's a lot of things would have changed. And, you know, I don't know maybe he's not a Hall of Famer. Very well, it's possible. And Tony Tarasco, of course, goes the other way. Yeah. Superstar, extraordinaire, defensive outfielder, saves the day for the Orioles. Probably gets endorsement deals with like Tabasco <laughs> sauce companies. Maybe has Tabas- like <laughs> Tarasco Tabasco Tarasco sauce. Yeah. Oh man, it's crazy how the butterfly effect. Yeah, would be crazy, but uh, I don't have those sorts of powers. I'm not Doctor Strange. I'm not wielding the uh, the time stone here, so I can't make any of that happen. There's a reference you don't understand. Nope. Hey, is Jose Ramirez back? Uh, yeah, of course. Hey, are the Indians going to win the division? <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm only answering that like Michael Brantley because, uh, I don't know, it's, it's fitting with Brantley leaving the outfield and it being all about how terrible the outfield is and how it's the biggest need in the offense. Oh, 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 wait, I'm getting word that the Indians have the eighth highest war of any outfield in baseball this month. Unbelievable. And it's Tyler Freegan Naquin leading the way. Say what? The 11th highest war among any outfielder in baseball entering today in the month of July. Not under a full moon, not under none of that stuff, just all, all of those. Was Tyler Naquin? He has been. So, okay, let me take a step back. When Oscar Mercado had that five-hit game last week, I was looking up the recent Indians players to have five-hit games, and the five previous before Mercado, Lonnie Chisenhall had three of them. And, like, he was on the Indians for eight major league seasons, which, like, I, I don't – it seemed like he was on the team for, like, a year or two. 
because he was always hurt. He was always kind of inconsistent. But when he was going well, like, remember the game in Texas when he had three home runs and nine RBIs and he went five for five? Like, when he was on a tear, sure. he was scorching. And yeah. so, Naquin is kind of like that sometimes, and especially this season he has been. And it's just like, that's so valuable to have the guy on the fat side of the platoon be able to just go on a run like that. Um, obviously, you want consistency, but Naquin's been fantastic the last couple months, and it's it's a huge reason why this offense has kind of taken off. And I never thought that we would be saying that. I mean, I said this time last week that I think he gets a I – th- I think fans have been unfair to him in the past. They've, they've wanted him to be more than what he is. And what he is is perfectly fine. It's not a star. And maybe even you can say it's a disappointment for a first-round pick what you want that to be. But at the end of the day, first key is he's got to stay on the field. The last two years he hasn't been able to do that. And it's, I think that's cut into his production. I think it's absolutely fair to say, and he'll tell you to his face that it's a big key for him this year, that he feels healthy. Uh, I think it also helps him just mentally, too, uh, not feel like just he, that he can't catch a break. But if he is kind of what he's been this year, where he's a guy who's slightly above average and a two-win player, as you said, on the fat side of the platoon, it's not awful to have that sort of player. And I know we've, we ripped him up and down in 2016, and he made the horrendous play in the World Series, and he's just not a natural center fielder. Probably shouldn't have been out there, but just out of necessity, he was. In right field, he's, he's a pretty good defender out there. The numbers say it, and he turns in some pretty uh, sometimes surprising, but sometimes they are absolutely spectacular plays out there, and the arm is, a, is totally an asset. He kind of does all the things that we talked up Lonnie at being his best was able to do. That's also Tyler Naquin, and it's also Linus. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, you, you put his numbers together with, with Luplo, like, that's a really good tandem. I know platoons aren't sexy, and, you know, fans would rather see one superstar out there. And, and also – when you're platooning like three or four spots, it's a pain. But Naquin and Lupo have been really good. And you, I mean, I don't know off the top of my head what their numbers are combined, but it probably resembles a really good player. And they're both fine defensively. Like that's, if you bring those guys back in right field next year, I have no problem with that. Um, now, Daniel Johnson might have something to say about that equation and they're going to have some decisions to make, but it's, when you're looking at, especially as the trade deadline approaches, you're looking around the diamond and you're identifying where could we use someone who would take up every day at bats, you're set in right field. I mean, those two have locked it down. And I mean, it, there's no doubt against right handed pitching, Naquin's going to start in right. And against left handed pitching, Luplo's going to be in there. And sometimes they're both in there. And Naquin's hit against lefties, righties, switch pitchers, monstars, <laughs> Canadians, Americans, Mexicans, Dominican pitcher. Like, it doesn't matter who's on the mound. He's been really good lately. And it's that helps because this team is still shorthanded. Like, especially Bobby Bradley's down now. Kind of had a rotating DH. 
Um, and so Naquin's gotten some more playing time against lefties, and he hasn't been a liability. Like no. that's, I don't know that we could ever say that about against Chis- about Chisholm Hall. I know he had some moments where he looked like, hey, maybe you can play this guy every day, but you know Naquin's been legitimately good against any pitcher he's faced lately. Yeah, I'm thinking of Chisholm Hall, the home run he hit against David Price in the uh, 2016 ALDS, the one that hit the what is the metal box in right field that scorcher. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you were looking at what his production was against righties. I think for Naquin over his career, that will continue to be the case. And I, I don't expect him to continue to be the 11th most valuable outfielder for the rest of the season. But if I told you there was a guy out there uh, a couple of weeks ago that was going to give you uh, a 110 WRC plus and really good defense in right field, I think everyone kind of would have went, oh, okay, who was it? Who is it? I'll take that guy. Sure. I, I could use that guy. And turns out it's been Tyler Naquin. <laughs> so if, if uh, on the average, that's what he's giving you, it's perfectly fine. I, I, I think you can use your assets to address other places. And, you know, we talked about second base being an issue short-term and long-term since we've done that. Kipnis has woken up a little bit. Uh, you, you hope that's going to be the case because I don't, Unless they get a, a, a really young potential star type player, I don't think they're going to replace Kipnis at the deadline. The one thing that I would, wouldn't mind them doing, though, is go find a platoon partner for that guy. And Kipnis has been okay against righties this year. He's not to the extent that I won cleaning up if I had my uh, choices. But wouldn't, wouldn't it make sense if they could just keep Kipnis against the righties and then find a way to. I don't know who that would be. Um, I know like Howie Kendrick was having a good part of a year this year, but find a right-handed hitting second baseman that you could rotate with him. Yeah, sure. I'd rather, I mean, just, if you're going mean, to go pieces parts. Yeah, they have, they can add anything. Sending down Bobby Bradley has essentially opened up the DH spot and they can move anyone to DH. So they can literally add any position player. Uh, it's just a matter of, I think it's just like, who can you get the most production? Like they shouldn't limit themselves. Now, if you acquire someone who's not a rental, then it matters. Then maybe a second baseman or an outfielder works better than, you know, a position where you don't necessarily need the help in 2020. But it's that, that's the thing too. Like we could have a whole long conversation about whether it makes more sense for them to get a rental or to pay up a little bit more and get someone who's, under control for a longer period of time. We need access to their offices. <laughs> yeah, and all the times I've tried to bug it, 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 uh, I don't know, they, they throw off an EMP or something, and, and uh, it doesn't work. That's actual. That's that's not real. I'm I'm kidding. Don't come after me with any sort of lawsuit. We already know how upset they were when a reporter once had it in a joining room with them so i'm not actually trying to bug the office we're gonna need a hell of a lot more support for the podcast if we're gonna have to bail you out of jail (laughs) that is absolutely true all right i am ready sir i am ready for a random inning of the day do you have one i do have one oh i am actually when i say i'm ready i'm lying but uh, i'll be on the hot seat after this ah the hot seat isn't that what regis philbin called the seat on who wants to be a millionaire or who's going to be a millionaire or 
whatever that show was called. I miss that show. Although Price is Right has a new game called The Hot Seat. You can win $20,000. What? Yeah. How have you not been on The Price is Right yet? That's a great question. You know, there's a trip to Anaheim in September. But I don't think there, there's no off day. I need I need the Indians to play at Dodger Stadium with an off day in there somewhere so I can go. Because I've heard it takes a while. you got to stand in line, be interviewed. Yeah. And then the taping takes about 90 minutes. But that's a dream. That's on the bucket list. And you watch it enough that you do have some sense of probably the prices. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, you're I mean, probably I'm, I'm running on the treadmill expert. and yelling at idiots who make stupid bids and <laughs> pick the wrong case or whatever you do. Um, well, I'm ready, I'm ready to be that idiot. I mean, I, I, Drew Carey was here for the celebrity game, and I, the first thing I said to him was that I watch his show every day at 11 o'clock while I'm at the gym. I, like, I schedule my time at the gym based around when Price is Right on <laughs> this TV. This is true. By the way. For anybody listening, anytime I've tried to do the podcast in the window between 11 and noon, you just shoot it down immediately. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I can't even get any time carved out with you between 11 and noon any single day. Yeah. And you know what the frustrating thing is? Is when I'm on the road, you know, it's not on at 11 a.m. everywhere. The, the local affiliate can pick and choose when, when they want to air Ah, it. yes, Darren. Well, we've, we've covered this. <laughs> so that's right so the most frustrating thing is when i'm in you know kansas city and i'm like all right let's get to the gym and i get there at like 10 58 and it's just ending oh, oh no that's crushing all right well i am ready like i said i'm ready to be an idiot and uh i know you got a random meeting of the day for me all right this this is a pitcher who spent parts of three seasons with the indians and in those three seasons, he made 33 relief outings, 491 ERA. His first year with the Indians was 1996. All right. 33 appearances, but over three years. Were those appearances spread out? Did he get one year where? Let's see, 15 in 96, 5 in 97, and 13 the last year. This guy was a two-time All-Star. Obviously, neither All-Star. Yeah, came with the Indians. Wow, that's definitely throwing me off. Because I was thinking, I was trying to think of all the guys that barely pitched at all that pitched with the Indians, and uh, who would have been good at one time? So it had to have been. I'm assuming it had to be somebody in the bullpen. <sighs> yeah, these were he was a relief with the Indians. He pitched 11 years in the majors. Finished his career with a 4.05 ERA. Did those all-star appearances come before, after? It came after. So he was probably a young guy? Well, 
He did return to the Indians later in his career. That was the third year. Oh, uh, okay. So it was God. So it was 96, 97 and then a year a different year. Correct. Um The only one I can think of at that time was Brian Anderson. But I think we already used him recently. Not Brian Anderson. He never pitched in the postseason. The Indians took him in the fourth round in the 94 draft. Uh, was it? No, he was a starter. I was thinking of Albie Lopez. No, he was I considered starter. going with him, though, but did not. Fourth rounder. This guy was a weird pitcher. His numbers are strange. Um, wasn't Alan Embry because they traded him before '96. I can't, nothing's coming to mind right now. So the year he pitched for the Indians was 2006. And that was his final season in the majors. He was a reliever his whole career, except one random year he was a starter. And he was so bad. Um... The year he was a starter, he went four and fifteen with a oh. five thirty three ERA. The only and in a in one hundred and sixty nine innings, he gave up two hundred and four hits, oh. thirty home runs, and only struck out sixty. Um, I don't remember if he came back a second time, but uh, David Weathers was he around that time? It's not David Weathers. That's a good guess. Uh, so this guy, his his all star seasons were when he was oh, closer. Wait, 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 wait! It's Danny Graves. It's Danny Graves. Of course, it was Danny Graves. Danny Graves, born in what country? Oh, I don't know. Vietnam. Oh wow. Uh, Danny Graves. He had, a, he had a decent career. He had a decent career, but it was strange because he didn't strike anybody out. But he was. He was a closer for the Reds for a long time. And it would be cool if we had some, like, obviously we have no contact management skills beyond what you see on the baseball reference page today. Like, a guy like Adam Simber, uh, you can look at, at him and say, this is a guy that induces soft contact, and it's a skill. You know, we talk about some guys, they don't really control that, you know, what happens after it leaves the bat, whatever. But there are certain guys that can have a skill of getting soft contact just for the way he throws and the type of pitches that he throws and type of pitcher he is. So you wonder, is Danny Graves that similar kind of guy where doesn't strike anybody out, anybody out, but there was something about his makeup, his repertoire, that he was able to manage soft contact. I, I didn't see enough of his career, of course, to know that, and we don't have stat cast to go look at. But that's like the only way I could think that you could survive that long as a closer and be kind of good for a while. 
and not be a big time strikeout guy. I just think it's so cool because he goes to Cincinnati and he logged so many innings out of the bullpen. 81, 111. In 1999, 75 appearances, 27 saves, 111 innings. Yes. Run like an HBD bullpen Love if I've ever that. seen one. 91, 80, 98. And all these years, but like those, so he's pitching multiple innings. He's pitching at the end of games to rack up saves. And he's not striking anybody out. It's, it's pretty impressive, especially in that era where everybody's jacking home runs. And he, he didn't give up any. And then for some reason, they randomly converted him to a starter in 2003. He was terrible. Put him back as the closer the next year. He gets 41 saves. But then he kind of, the rails fell off. And, but uh, he had a nice career. He was traded. That was the uh, John Smiley trade. That certainly did not work out for the Indians. John Smiley, like, his arm fall off. Snapped. Made six starts for the Indians. His elbow snaps, and that was his career. God. All right. Well, good job. I I did get it, but it took some time, so I'm only slightly an idiot this week. Yeah, you'll get a couple people tweeting at you. That's okay. I got it eventually. Calm down. Calm down. And and look at all the other random Indians I threw it on along the way. So it wasn't like I didn't give you some sort of – Yeah, but now we can't I didn't give you something. Well, sure I can. We'll revisit. At this point, I feel like we've, I mean, we're, what are we, 100 episodes in now? I don't uh, know. If we are, we need to celebrate number 100. Yeah. We're the longest running episodic. No, wait, that's not right. That's Monday Night Raw. Any parting words? Uh, you know, I'm, this is my all-star break this week. I get the, the Toronto series off and. I'll head to Kansas City this weekend and certainly gain 35 pounds. But <laughs> did you want to tell the listeners about what you remember most about your most recent trip to Toronto? Oh, uh, what the the playoff series? What, but what do I remember most? I remember this, when you... there are some things that I can't tell on this podcast that would get some <laughs> other members of the media in trouble. How about when you ordered something for lunch and it was still mooing? Oh my god! So you bring this up. I was gonna, I was gonna talk about this at some point in the podcast. I don't know if an hour into this podcast is the time to bring it up. So, you know, so I will tell that story and remind me the next time we convene. I will tell you it, this will be a to be continued because it, this has just become my life. But where did we go? Who picked the restaurant? By the way. Ah, oh, it was me. So 2016 ALCS, we're up there in Toronto uh, getting ready for uh, the series to continue north of the border. And I'm trying to remember who all was there. It was uh, Jordan Bastion, Ryan Lewis, uh, you, me. Is there anybody else there? Was Ossie with us? Okay. I couldn't remember if yeah. he was with us at the time. Uh, so Chris Ossenheimer also with us. And we go to this restaurant. And I picked it based on Yelp reviews, so don't blame me. <laughs> Did you translate those Yelp reviews in the, from French or well, what? Yeah, like four stars is 3.8 Canadian, so still good. Uh, okay. Um, so everyone orders their food. The food comes out. 
everyone's enjoying their food. I cut into mine. I'm not really paying attention first bite. Take a bite. It's like, wow, this meat is really spongy. Not typically the, you know, usually you're expecting it to be juicy or even if it's overcooked, you're expecting a certain uh, texture in your mouth as you're eating it. I'm like, oh, this is kind of spongy. And then I swallow, I look down and I start carving another piece. And I realize that, yeah, this, this animal that's on my plate, I'm pretty sure is, it might have died minutes ago. It is still <laughs> very much raw. The type of uh, the type of dish that you are not supposed to be eating it raw. And so, <laughs> and I, I, what, didn't they like ignore us for a long time? At this, I feel like we're sitting there like, oh, we're going to be late to whatever availability we're supposed to have because they ignored us at the table for a really long time. I'm sitting there, sitting there. Finally, they come over. I'm like, yeah, man, uh, this is uh, not fit to eat. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I am so sorry. Would you like something else? Mm, nah, <laughs> I think I've lost all faith and all appetite. And so I sat there and didn't eat while you guys finished up your meal. And I don't remember if I ever ate anything the rest of the day, but that was not. And then because you've eaten something like that, now it's in your mind, right? And so you're thinking about it. So it's like, does my stomach hurt because I just ate a live animal? Does my stomach hurt just because, eh, you know, it's, uh, it, I just might have to use the bathroom. But the whole rest of the day, it's kind of like when someone says, hey, don't think about an elephant. And you think about an elephant, it was kind of like that. Where it's like, don't think about my stomach being upset. Oh, God, I think I'm going to throw up. And there's a difference between, like, ordering your meat rare and ordering it raw. <laughs> And this was certainly on the raw. Oh, uh, yeah. Not good. Um, and so, and so the, I think the moral of the story is don't order beef tenderloin in Toronto. I guess not. Just let this be your lesson. I think that should be the, uh, the title of this episode. Oh, <laughs> uh, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me my business. I was the one that went through this traumatic experience. And like I said, <laughs> this has. It wasn't the first time and it has not been the last time. And I was going to talk about something that happened to me a few weeks ago. We didn't get to it. And it's like, when do I work this into the podcast? Just to talk about life experiences outside of the sport that we watch on a nightly basis and try to analyze and entertain people with. This has been a running theme in my life. And I feel like I just need to get it out there. And maybe just by throwing it out into the heavens that finally my luck will change. But let this be a to be continued I have more stories. I have so many more stories. And that's where, Can't wait. that's where we'll leave it. Till next week, he's Zach Meisel. I'm TJ Zuppi. I'm still alive. And this is the Selby's Godcast. We're out of here. See ya.